Welcome to another great episode of Society Podcast. This is Corey Trevelletti. Uh, this is another great episode. I say that a lot, but you know, since this is a brand new podcast, every episode is great. But this one is especially great because I had the chance to sit down and have an interview with Sarah Fay. Sarah is one of the co-founders of a new venture capital firm called Glasswing Ventures, which focuses on AI. But I used to work with Sarah way back when in the agency world when she ran Kara North America and eventually Aegis North America. And uh, I was the managing director for an office of Kara. And I had the great honor of working with Sarah. She was a great executive. She was a great leader. She motivated people. And she really helped build a fantastic digital agency, one of the real trailblazers for the category. And I think you'll enjoy this conversation. Sarah has a lot of great insight into what's going on in the world around AI and voice. So enjoy. Hi, and welcome to Society. We're recording this on a Friday afternoon right before a big holiday weekend, and I'm here. I'm happy to be here with Sarah Fay, who's one of the co-founders for Glasswing Ventures. Hi, Sarah. Hi, Corey. I'm happy to be here, too. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thank you. I know it's late on a Friday, and you're getting ready to have a nice, long, fun weekend. So um, for the people who are going to be listening to this podcast, maybe aren't as familiar with your background, would you like to give them a little bit of a background as to how you've gotten to this part in your journey? Sure. So I, um, going back to when we worked together, I spent about 16 years as an entrepreneur and CEO in the media and advertising space. Uh, I was first at a media agency where I was a partner called Freeman Associates uh, for five years. We hit a need vein in the marketplace. Um, we were a media agency for high tech companies. So that was in the go-go days of the 80s. Um, we grew 100% Kager five years in a row, really you know, fast growth business. And we were acquired by Cara, um, which is where you and I work together. Um, and at the time of acquisition, we were just starting to do digital advertising and Cara needed to establish its presence in the digital space too. So I took the opportunity to launch Cara Interactive, um, which to make a long story short, through both organic growth and acquisitions, we grew from 25 people that we started out with in the year 2000 to 700 people within a five or six year time period. And um, I know you joined us through the acquisition of Freestyle. Um, mm -hmm. And there were a number of really um, great companies and thought leaders that came inside the tent. And um, I'm really proud of the company that was built. I think it exists today as Isobar, uh, as well as Kara and um, I prospect also kind of now stands alone. That was one of our acquisitions as well. Mm -hmm. um, based on the success uh, we had in the digital space, I ended up taking the CEO position of all of Cara and um, playing a role in bringing the traditional and digital sides together. And then I, I, I ultimately took the step to become CEO of Aegis Media North America, which is now Densu Aegis and has grown considerably since I left the company too. So it's been, um, it was a, it was a, it was a great um, experience uh, working in the agency world. And when I left, I started uh, sitting on boards of 
startups and companies in the ecosystem, both media and media and marketing tech, um, and uh, also got involved with angel investing and working with a lot of VCs, and that led me down the path of becoming a VC. So now I am a partner in Glasswing Ventures, which we just had our third birthday. Um, we're about in the middle of investing our fund one, which we raised at $112 million, and we focus only on AI tech. Um, and some of that is in the marketing and advertising space, but we're, we're far from limited to that. In fact, we have a big part of our portfolio is in cybersecurity, enterprise software, um, uh, development tech. Um, and then, you know, we do, we do have, uh, some companies in the technology in the marketing, um, and advertising space as well. Yep. Yeah. You've made a, obviously a successful career of really kind of uh, staying ahead of the curve and trying to lead companies, lead brands into a space where they may not have been familiar. Yeah. And it certainly sounds like it's been a, a very fun ride. I know, obviously I enjoyed working with you and that whole experience was fantastic for me personally. So uh, it seems like you're continuing to go down that path. Likewise. Yeah. yeah. So I was checking out and I've obviously been familiar now with Glasswing because of continuing to stay in contact with you. But on the new version of the site that you all just launched, you have a, a, a positioning there, which is focusing on AI and tools to enable the intelligent enterprise. And I was just wondering, could you comment on or see the definition of intelligent enterprise in, in your words? Sure. Um, well, I think that when you look at the things that AI is doing for businesses, and when we talk about the enterprise, we mean AI for the business um, space in the enterprise. It is crunching data um, in in a way that's never we've never been able to do before. So AI is now able to deliver insights in real time to help businesses operate um, more efficiently and le with less manual work and less guessing um, at what they need to do. So I'll give you an example. Uh, we just, uh, or last year, we made an investment in a company called Verusen, which um, helps manufacturing companies to know when they need to order products um, to keep manufacturing going. The pain point without AI uh, is that um, procurement has to make sure they have the right parts for manufacturing or else they would have to stop, they would have to bring manufacturing to a halt. So what they tend to do is they overorder on the parts that they really feel like they need. That drives their CapEx, their capital expenses, up to inflated rates. And with AI, they can know exactly when they need to order so they, they can bring their CapEx way down. That, that brings hundreds of thousands and, thousands and even millions to the bottom line because it's, an, it's a level of intelligence um, that only AI can deliver. So that's what we mean by the intelligent enterprise. And there are lots and lots of ways that AI can be applied to make uh, a business run more smoothly and efficiently and more intelligently. Does that mm -hmm. explain it? Yeah, it's interesting because the more that I've been reading and the more that I've seen people talking about AI and its intersection in enterprise, it does seem to be that there's an above the line and a below the line. 
way that AI can be integrated? Because on one side of things, you have what you just talked about, where it's helping from a uh, logistical or procurement perspective to anticipate and then deliver um, or anticipate rather on the delivery of needs that the company has. Yeah. And then on the other hand, I'm hearing things like call centers and areas like we focus, but you know, certainly not going to spend time talking about us, but like the, the ways that they're using it to gather insights, process data, et cetera. So it seems like there's yeah. two different major big areas there that we can focus on. Definitely. I mean, there's there when when people talk about AI, I think lots of times because it's still fairly new, they're envisioning one kind of thing, but it's really lots of different types of things. It's almost like, you know, I, I feel like we went through that with the digital rev- revolution. When when people thought about digital, they were just thinking about one thing or another thing or a website or something like that. But it really permeated everything and. Um, I think that 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 is true of AI too. Of course, there's computer vision and, you know, the using data to have, you know, digital, give digital the ability to see and and apply um, intelligence the way humans do when they see data um, or, mm-hmm. when, or when they see images. Um, and there's also voice, of course, you know, like what you're doing with Voicea, it's making life a lot easier. It's something it's listening, the computer or the, the digital, um, the AI is listening and it's able to interpret. Um, Mm -hmm. so it's, um, it's really kind of a new day in, in all of the tasks that we can think about, whether it's in business or in our daily lives, um, where machines can be operating in the background and we as humans interact with machines in new and different ways. Yeah, absolutely. You, you bring it up and I'm curious in your opinion, because uh, you have a unique perspective because you're talking to a lot of these companies, they're coming in. Um, they're most likely, I assume the, the right ones are coming in and saying, here's the problem we solve. We utilize AI as a means of doing that. How often do you see voice tied to AI? Or is AI very much a separate area of focus that companies look at and voice is sometimes associated with it or not? Yeah. I mean, um, voice is, um, uh, uh, in the AI spectrum, I think voice is one of the newer um, applications. Of course, we all live with Siri and we all live with um, Alexa. And and from a behavioral standpoint, we're getting used to interacting, you know, maybe interacting with our cars as well. Um, but we're, we're still in early days and, and we're really just at the, at the, in the early stage of voice being applied you know, in lots of different ways to websites or to, um, you know, in, in, at work, you know, instead of, uh, typing into a computer, you know, to, to basically just say what we're looking for, to wake up a device and have, uh, data brought to us or, or be shown something, you know, it's really sort of like, a lot of the science fiction movie stuff that you see, but we, we, voice mm-hmm. will, will come to us and 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 be much more a part of our of our worlds in the way we interact with machines. I think again, Voicea is kind of a one of one of the ways um, I can Im- imagine putting voice 
applications to use. Um, there's also mm-hmm. just like being able to listen um, to voices and to uh, gather data that way too. I've, I've seen applications that do that uh, for sales teams um, just to be able to understand uh, across a whole sales team, you know, what are the successful salespeople saying? You know, how can you boil it down to the parts of a pitch that work, the parts that don't, um, and to, to, to help sales managers and teams perform uh, better? Um, mm-hmm. But those are just, you know, these are just a few examples. There's going to be lots of examples. Certainly, certainly. Um, one question that I have, because I, I had a really great conversation the other day with somebody else about this very similar topic. There's a lot of conversation around the impact that AI has on jobs, whether it in some cases may reduce jobs, in some cases it actually creates jobs. Uh, how do you look at it? What's your perspective, especially given the fact that you get to see so many of these companies that are you know, are able to layer into a, a, a logistical chain for a company and for the enterprise? Yeah. Um, well, I don't think anybody really knows what the outcome is going to be yet, but for a lot of the manual labor jobs or people who are employed to collect and enter data, um, or move bits of data around, I mean, you think about in an agency, a lot of the entry level positions are data analytics, um, or, you know, people who, who, enter data or pour over data charts to, you know, pick out bits of insights, a lot of that will be taken over by AI. Now, I mean, the reality is that a company may spend just as much on their employee base, but but it may be tilted toward more senior people. But there will be some unintended consequences. Um, you know, in, in the agency world, as an example, if you grossly reduced the number of junior positions, you aren't going to have as many people in, to choose from in the higher positions later. So um, I, you know, I'd like to be one of these people that says it's all just going to work out and we'll, we'll just have different positions instead of the manual ones. But I think that we're, there's going to be at least some medium short term problems in working out how we employ our populations of people. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, one of, one of the best things we can do, I think, because I do think there's going to be, um, a great need for uh, people who code, people in technology jobs. Um, We're we're probably going to experience a dearth of uh, talent on that side of things is to just find ways to teach more people to code. Um, And I I know of a number of organizations doing this um, for kids and, you know, in some cases, underprivileged kids to try and balance things out. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think, I, I, I think one, nobody really knows how it's going to turn out. And two, I think, I think that we're going to have some challenges. Yeah. I think that's probably very fair. You mentioned a company a couple minutes ago that you found that was interesting. And, uh, I wanted to give you the chance to maybe mention a couple of other technologies or companies that you've been impressed by that you've come across, whether they're investments of yours or 
or maybe there's other companies you've seen in the last couple of months? I'm just curious. Yeah. Okay. I'm happy to. So, um, well, I, I, I invested recently in a, a company called narrative.io, which is a platform that allows people to buy third-party data in an automated way. So if you think about how data is purchased today, um, third-party data is generally purchased through data brokers. Um, and I know you you know, worked at a company for a while <laughs> that mm-hmm. sold segments of data. Um, and um, I think that, you know, there are some aspects about this is that it's okay and you can package up data in ways that, you know, get to what people are looking for, but it's never perfect, right? And, you know, people, mm-hmm. their their first party data is usually, you know, the better data. And then they try to marry that with third party data, but they can't get exactly what they're looking for. So, um, and then the other thing is that buying through data brokers is very opaque. It's hard to know the provenance of the data. It's hard to know what, whose data is included in that. So you would never buy from more than one, one broker, or you would be duplicating the data you're buying. Um, and then there's a big manual process in setting it up. I mean, people who actually work with data understand the pain of this. It often takes, you know, days, if not weeks, to get set up and using the data that you've purchased. So narrative is ingesting data directly from suppliers, normalizing it so buyers can buy by the signal. That means they can buy exactly the data they want in its raw form through the long tail of suppliers and it's a much um it's a it's a much better economic model as well there's not a gigantic margin that's being uh, attached to the data so it works out great for the suppliers because they can access to many many more um buyers of third party data and it works out great for the buyers because they get just what they want in an automated fashion without the big manual setup. So these guys are cooking. Um, you know, I, I won't say who their clients are, but they are the very big, very sophisticated buyers of data. And um, they're, 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 they're really on a roll. They're growing um, at a significant clip. They did, they just did just announce um, that live intent became one of their suppliers. It's very important uh, data supplier because it's email based and it's quite pure. Very so, um, so anyway, that's that's one of them. Uh, I also, based on my media background and my ability to understand the significance of uh, this company, I invested in a platform called Elsie that uses AI for media planning. Um, so they are also uh, there. There's a very high demand on the team. It's not a big team at this moment. Um, but it is, um, it's, it's a great tool that uses AI to ingest all of the same planning data that a, a planner looks at, all the KPIs of a client and the pricing of a client, and it will plan around the parts of a plan that have to exist, say an upfront buy, and it, it produces the actual plan. So it's not just a channel planning tool. It's not just an allocation tool by channel. 
it actually produces the plan, how much money to allocate to each piece of the plan, and what the predicted ROI is. And it's proving out to be true. Um, so, and it reduces, I mean, you talk about um, manual labor versus AI, it reduces the amount of planning time by about fivefold. So, um, and when you think about how big clients operate and the amount of replanning that needs to be done because budgets shift um, and, you know, all of the effort that goes into that. And then the inability of planners to really explain why they chose what they chose. I mean, often they, they make basically the right decisions, but there aren't accountable numbers uh, for them to talk to the client about why. <laughs> and so this provides very specific uh, ROI predictions um, that the planner can use to explain to the client why the plan is allocated the way it is. This is also like for anybody, you know, who are clients in the media world are, um, are loving this story. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and these guys are, are very busy um, signing on new clients. I, I can tell you, it's funny because hearing that story, part of my, my heart breaks because that was my very first job was as a media planner. But I wonder if they okay. if their software is capable of writing the amazing PowerPoint text that I used to write too. Well, you know, <laughs> the thing about it is for a planner, you do get a lot of time back and it's not that there's no role to play. Um, oh. You know, the, the planner still is in charge of the inputs. Um, and then there's a lot to do. If you think about how complex the media world is today, there's so much to do just in, in terms of the activation of media. It takes all different shapes and it requires, I mean, this was when you and I worked together, you know, way back when, um, we understood that media and creative really needed to be together so that you could implement um, a mm -hmm. lot of the automation correctly. And um, I think this is what planners need to be spending a lot of their time on, is, is really the, the innovation side, the media side that goes together with the creative side and activation. And I, mm -hmm. I, I do believe a lot of agencies are embracing this as well. Yeah, and that's... That's a business that's got a lot of disruption facing it. So a tool like this might be a really useful tool for them to be able to try and figure out how to adapt to those disruptions. Yep. Yep. Yeah. So, um, so, th so those are some of the ones in the marketing space. And then, um, uh, well, we are in, in investors in Xylotech, which is a, a CDP. Um, it is the only one of the CDPs that has true AI and, uh, and learning. Um, and that is also, you know, they've, they've got some very big clients. They're tending to win clients and then, uh, grow them because it's such a sticky tool. It gives you the opportunity as a client to own your own data and enrich your own data. So no platform is smarter about your customers and your data than you are. Perfect. Yeah. Perfect. Cool. Well, let me, I have a, I have two questions left for you. We try to uh, keep these as good nuggets of wisdom. And I, I wanted to ask these for you, but I will, I will say up front that these are probably softball questions for you. Yeah. Um, you know, over the years, obviously you've had a lot of great people work for you. You know, I worked underneath you. There's a lot of people who worked underneath you. 
And yeah. now those people are in positions of leadership across multiple industries. They're not all just in advertising. They've spread out into a lot of different places. And I'm just curious, like, you know, how good does that make you feel to see that these people who maybe you've helped mentor that you've been able to give advice to along the way, like seeing them being able to spread that now into different areas of business? Oh my God. I am so proud of the group that I worked with in the past and how far so many of, the, of them have come. I mean, you, you're a good example, Corey, you know, having been, um, you know, the CMO over at, or EVP at Blue Kai and now CMO of Voicia and um, quite a number of the people who reported to me became CEOs in their own right. And um, so many people have done, you know, really well in the entrepreneurial world. I'm thinking of, you know, Manu Matthew, who sold uh, Visual IQ last year. Uh, And um, uh, I mean, if I start rolling down the list of names, I'm just never going to say yeah, I'm constantly, I'm constantly in contact with people like Toby and Alan and Manu and and all these people. So yes, nothing, nothing makes me happier than seeing um, my old friends and people I worked with in the past succeed. And I think I do a pretty good job of keeping in touch with people. Or I, mm-hmm. you know, and I love it when people keep in touch with me. David Berklin is mm-hmm. an investor in Glasswing, um, and oh, cool. you know, we we're in touch all the time. Um, my former bosses and mentors, you know, Ellen Freeman, you know, going way back to Freeman Associates. Um, And then, yeah, it's... You uh, know, along along those same lines, like, uh, this is maybe a hard question to ask, so this isn't as much of a softball, but, you know, looking back, is there any piece of advice that you wish you could have imparted to the earlier version of of yourself or to somebody else who's maybe heading down that same path in their career? Well, I'm sure there's like quite a number of things, you know, you always, you can only connect the dots looking backward and, you know, nobody makes it through without making a mistake or two or three. Um, But uh, I think always I, um, I always felt like I was being pushed into the deep end of the pool. Um, Mm -hmm maybe even sooner than I wanted to get there. I know that's not not the case for everyone in growing their careers. Some people feel like they, they aren't getting what they de- deserve fast enough. So I, you know, just the injection of courage. Um, and then, you know, there's, y- you can never read enough or, you know, fill your head with enough inspiration um, if I if I could do it all over again, I would communicate, you know, double, triple what I did. You know, you're always so immersed in like the things that you have to get done. Right. Um, but but to do more uh, all communications. And I think that, you know, we were in the agency world, right? We went around and we talked to groups of people a lot. And I, I think I did a pretty good job connecting with people at the ground level. Um, but, you know, to, 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 to be, to have a bigger voice um, with, with our people in the industry, I, I just think you can never over communicate. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know, you probably have some better answers for me. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think so. It's the same thing. Every time anybody asks you those types of questions, you know that later on you're going to come up with 10 amazing answers to it, but right on the spot, it's always difficult. So. Right. 
Yeah. Well, Sarah, I, I really do appreciate the time and especially given as we're going into a holiday weekend, which when people hear this in a week or two, they won't make any sense to them because they'll have been past the holiday weekend. But I really do appreciate the time as always. And I appreciate you having me. It's great to talk to you. And congrats for everything at Boise too. And you too. And you too. Okay. Thanks.